it's very fun to 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 sort of think about where things are going and try to build forward and um it, and because it means every day you get up you're inventing something and i think that's probably the most inspiring way to uh to, to work and build software and that's why i do what i do Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Perry, who is the CEO and co-founder of Caro. David, how are you today? Great. Great. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm just so excited to talk about you, to talk about your business, to just see where this conversation goes. So thanks for being here. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background uh, in depth, and then we'll get into some questions? Yeah, well, you probably can't tell straight out of the gate, but I'm extraordinarily tall. So you can't tell that with Zoom very well, just looking at someone's head. But um, but yeah, I'm like six foot eight tall. And I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I, I grew up there when it was kind of crazy. There was all kinds of uh, of, of sort of stuff going on in Ireland would be in school and there'd be bombs going off in the city. And, um, and, and I lived um, outside in the countryside. So therefore it was kind of quiet out there and lots of horses and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't really into horses at the time. And we have a sort of running joke in Ireland that it only rained twice this week, once for three days and once for four days. <laughs> and so, um, I found myself indoors and I, I got, I got access to the very early primitive computers when the the graphics were just blobs and the sound was just beeps and that was about my music and art talent right there and i was able to make very basic games you know you're this in certain cases like you're the letter a <laughs> and you're getting attacked by the letter b uh, but funnily enough that was the start of the game industry there and um and and the games were i started getting published in magazines and and, and ultimately in books and i didn't realize you could actually when in high school make money from from the video game business. And so I decided to leave school. I didn't complete my degrees or anything. I just literally left school and went to England to follow the game business. I thought the game business was in England. Um, so that's where I went. And it, it kind of was, there was there was good stuff. One of my first games was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that went very well. Once you get a number one game, you end up sort of, your your career kind of goes, goes a bit wild because people like to work with with uh, people who get hits. And so they don't realize that it's really the branding, but never mind. And so uh, after a while making games in the United Kingdom, um, I was offered a game to come to the US. And it turns out that's really, I think where the game industry was on fire was in the US. And so I got on a plane and came out to California and I made a game for McDonald's. And um, it was funny because McDonald's executives didn't like the game because it didn't have enough Ronald McDonald in it. And, and we're like, but nobody likes Ronald McDonald. <laughs> so, I'm a grimace man myself, but that's yeah, not it's sure. not really a, you know an iconic character that people want to play or be. But anyway, they the game won Game of the Year, so that sort of cemented my staying in America. You know, uh, there was more games that they wanted me to work on, it, and, and the team that I was working with was just incredible. And so, to 
leave would have been nuts. And and so I sort of settled down over here. I finally pledged my allegiance to the flag and, and I'm now American. But um, through a career in the game industry, I, I got to work on lots of branded games. The, the Terminator for uh, the, James, the first James Cameron one, um, The Matrix with the Wachowskis, um, Aladdin uh, with Disney. And we also made our own games like Earthworm Jim, which we licensed out. So Earthworm Jim became a TV show, a toy line, Carl's Jr.'s Happy Meal kind of stuff. That It was just a crazy time. And, and finally, um, I got very interested in the future of the game industry, which I think I, I believe strongly in in the concept of everything everywhere instantly. So I should be able to have every... I remember once when I first held a small cell phone, I was like, someday this is going to have every piece of music and history available to listen to anytime. And and it's it's really almost there already, right? We've got unlimited music, television, movies, books, but not video games. And so the thought was, could we get video games to be uh, you know available everywhere, every game you can imagine? And so we just started building the technology to do it. And Sony bought our company and built it into the PlayStation, and it's uh, it's called PlayStation now. And so my plan was to retire after that. So I got a really big man cave. And I filled it with 3D printers and woodworking and welding and photography and you name it. And I, and I was just so excited about all of that. And I, I ended up finding photography was one of the most fun things to do because it's a great gift to give to somebody a picture of themselves that they really like. It, it ends up becoming their face on social media and all the rest of it. It's kind of cool. But what happened was I got into to photographing influencers because you get the best reaction when you photograph an influencer. And that sort of led me down this path of how the influencing industry works. And it wasn't as I expected. They weren't that happy because they were working with brands they didn't love um, because, you know, they want to make a buck. They're getting DM'd constantly. Will you sell my candles or whatever? And then they they, they finally compromise and do it. That's not what they want. They want to work with the brands they love. So it, I couldn't help it. I'm, instead of just retiring, I decided let's let's you know see what I can do about this. I got and I met a an entrepreneur who was building software to to solve this problem. And so we ended up teaming up, and we've been building technology ever since. It's gone far beyond that original concept at this point. That's the nature of things. And and so I don't know if I'll ever get to re, to retire. I'll probably retire again for five minutes. And uh, but but for me, it's very fun to 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 sort of think about where things are going and try to build forward. And um, it, and because it means every day you get up, you're inventing something. And I think that's probably the most inspiring way to uh, to to work and build software. And that's why I do what I do. <laughs> that's very very cool. It's neat to see how uh, humble beginnings from the letter A uh, being attacked by the letter B can turn into uh, a space worm that uses his head as a grappling hook to fly around. And I'm glad to see that you're not bored in retirement and that you still are doing something that is uh, moving you forward. So, in the spirit of everything, everywhere, all the time, and building forward. What do you look forward to in Caro and, and what you're building and what excites you about that project? Well, what happened is we were building this cool tech to help brands work with influencers in a new way. And 
it was going very well. Uh, Facebook ended up writing a success story on us on, on Facebook for developers. We were very, it was all sounding and looking great. And then COVID hit. And we and when COVID hit, we were we thought to ourselves, like brands are gonna really want sales more than anything. Like it's great to have connections to influencers, but at the end of the day, they just want as many sales as they can get. And so we thought to ourselves, well, hold on, a lot of these brands. Uh, if when you look at the traffic together, just the just the installed brands, we have over thirty thousand that have installed our tech, but but that's three hundred and fifty million visitors a month that they that they effectively share but don't share, and so we thought to ourselves, how can we get these guys to share traffic? Because if they're all buying traffic over and over and over, especially buying the same traffic, like if you're in the same category as somebody else, you're using the same keywords and you're buying the same traffic over and over, can't we think of a better way to do this? And so the thought was, what like a dating site, um, can we help brands find other brands that they could actually collaborate with? An example would be one but one uh, company sells you know, everything to do with bicycles, but they don't have helmets yet. And over here, we have a helmet company. Well, would you like to put the helmets in the bike store? And suddenly the helmet's getting more, the helmet company's getting more sales and the bike store is getting more, more uh, sale or more dollars in an average order. And so that's actually going to cost them both zero. So they don't have to actually pay any advertising clicks at all for every one of those sales for as long as they stay partners. And, and so it's a kind of a radical thought when you think of it that way. And so you start going, cause they're not, comp- they're not competitors. So are there, other entities out there that that could collaborate that would be you know a, a cosmetics company that doesn't make brushes but they'd like to partner with someone or or that does cases to hold the brushes a really simple example is i, I talked to a company that makes bags to go to the beach but they never thought about what goes in the bag like we, we make the bag but but why would we even think about what goes in the bag well that means they're going to go and open another tab and buy the things that go in the bag from somebody else. Is that what you want? Is that your strategy? Like to to never participate in those sales. I see it all the time with food companies. They 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 think of themselves as like I make spaghetti or I make this one thing, but they don't think about what what other things are in the recipes on their website, right? So why why are you making people leave and go look for these items elsewhere? So that's really the idea is to try to get people to. Uh, to, to start to think about who else they could work with. And in certain cases, people are now building entire sites based on this concept. So there's a Netflix documentary, um, The Fantastic Fungi, and uh, they wanted just lots of products that have mushrooms in them. So, you know, what are you going to do? Fill warehouses with lots of mushroom products or just partner with people who already sell them? And, uh, and you can have unlimited partnerships this way and there's zero risk. So that So you can see why it was an attractive concept and it's it's very timely for, for for it was great for COVID, but I think it's going to be great for the current economic downturns as well because it helps brands get even more sales. Yeah. Do you think that, or have you seen in that experience? Because on paper, it makes tons of sense. Unlimited upside in principle, limited downside. But then I also have like the human nature of me says like, and I've seen people say this is like either a. It's too good to be true. B, well, what if they steal our idea and end up competing with us? And I and I wonder, at least as an outsider, does fear of what might happen get in the way of embracing partnerships as a model? Do you see that when like do you find you have to convince people to do that? 
or the ones that you run into are pretty forward thinking and want to jump on it right away? Great question. Yeah, it depends on on how motivated they are to grow. So if they are if they are looking for sales and they want to grow, there's usually someone in charge of that, the head of growth or the head of e-commerce. They they're looking for growth, and so they're very open minded to what could be done. The question is is what are you willing to do? And we have lots of different options for them, and they can sort of lean in as much as they like. So how much do you want to increase your sales by 10%, by 50%, by 100%? That's going to determine what you do um, as far as partnerships goes and how how open you are to working with other people. Another thing that we did was we added um, a cool feature for, for checkout. So in every case, we're thinking about a network of people. We're not thinking of your brand. We're thinking of the network with your brand. And um, what does that mean? Well, an example would be, um, let's say you are trying to sell an electric shaver, and then you automatically recommend a checkout. Or let's 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 make it a different way. Let's say it's an electric toothbrush. You're trying. Uh, what do you sell with the electric toothbrush? Should you recommend something else from your store, like the electric shaver? And the answer is no. Don't do that. Um, that won't convert well. What will convert well is Kendall Jenner's toothpaste. So um, we happen to have that in the network, and that will convert really highly with an electric toothbrush. And so you will make a lot more money that way. So that's network based checkout and that's a whole new thing again um like what you know how does that work and we have to invent how that works at scale and so the the concept of really um helping these brands that because it's all based upon who's decided who's willing to work with who and all the rest right because you have to you have to take all the dating aspects of it into consideration Mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day the ability to to let the network start to make those suggestions and help bring you sales from from compatible brands, I think is is going to be really important in the future. And so we build the technology and then we let the brands decide. Like that's just one piece of it. Again, cross-selling is important. Uh, I'll give you one more example. Let's say you're the bike company and we offer you helmets. In the past, you would buy, you would look at the helmets and go, wow, there's a lot of them. I don't want all these colors. I can't afford to store all these different colors in all sizes. Um, so I'll take those three colors and then in the in the most common sizes, which means you're going to sell out and people are going to be are not going to get what they want. If you do it virtually, then suddenly you have all the colors in all the sizes, you know, in all the styles of helmet instantaneously at no cost without any shipping or freight or anything that saves margin. So when you get down to e-commerce at the end of the day, after you've done all your advertising and all your whatever, um, your product stuff at the uh, you know merchandising, at the end of the day, you're just looking at it and saying, did we make money? And and the margin becomes the big discussion um, on whether or not we actually have a business. And so anytime you cannot move stuff around and touch it and store it somewhere else and insure it, improves margins. And that's why I think the, the concept of virtual inventory is going to become more and more interesting to e-commerce folks as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can leverage it to the nth degree. So I'm curious if we go back to the roots, when you look at how the video game market has shifted away from, hey, you needed to buy the like disc or cartridge, and then now moving to digital downloads and the ability to buy skins in that whole like video game market as an outsider to it. And you may or may not have your hands in it still. Uh, you know, what do you see as a kind of analyst from the outside? Are you seeing that being able to 
grow infinitely? Are you seeing that studios are going to have to think even more creatively to, to separate that? One thing I saw recently was like the fight for hard drive space, as in like they're making games bigger to protect the drive so that you can't install something else over it. And it's just so crazy to me that that's the world. But what are you seeing from that strategy, innovation, partnership lens in the world of video games? Yeah, you know, games are um, are a wonderful way to sort of um, see psychology in action and and what motivates people. I mean, you know, these people will stay up to three, four in the morning playing your game. So, what is going on in their brain that's making them want to stay up and do all of this? And um, the way I the way I tend to think about it is the first filter and this would apply to any business is saving time so if you offer imagine you've built a video game and you're going to sell items in a store to to the gamer and you start building all these different items um it's become a bit of a running joke now at this point like you could make two or five or ten thousand items to sell I, I i just say to the designer i'll bet you the one that saves the most time sells the best and they go then they just nod right that's that the reality is people want to save time it's like do you want to walk or do you want to ride the horse mm. right or do you want the slow horse or the fast horse right and in every case we're always like can we get can we get on with it we'd like to get on with it like get me there level me up faster and so it's a really important thing to focus on is is saving time you wonder why tiktok does so well right i mean do you remember when blogs came out where people people were typing blogs and then twitter comes along and says you don't need to type all that in fact we're not going to let you type all that you have to keep it short boom it's very successful um, video, to some extent, um, is is an incredible way to consume. But then now that's like, well, yeah, but we need to make the the video shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. It's just it's just the way the world works. Um, another one to, that you learn from the game industry, which I think affects business, is how to engage somebody. And I actually wrote a book on game design um, at one point, and it's about a thousand pages. And just to save you reading a thousand pages, the thing that that, that actually matters is the concept of a good game it has three things, which is skill, risk, and strategy. And it turns out that actually um, applies to quite a few things that, that engage you and whether or not you're, you're actually enjoying it. But uh, skill means that as you do something, you get better at it. Like say you're doing photography, right? You're getting actually better and better and you feel, you can see that you're improving. Imagine you took endless pictures and they just didn't get better or maybe they get worse, then, that, then you would stop right away. Risk means that you're actually taking, you're allowed to take risks. And if you take a risk, there should be some kind of reward. If you wonder why people gamble or you wonder why poker is so popular or even even things like um, golf, you go, is it all is it all strategy or is it a little bit of risk like in how you choose to hit your shot or, or choose a club or something? Um, anything that seems to work well usually has some kind of uh, some of these elements. The third one is uh, is strategy. So strategy means yeah, that didn't work, but I have another idea. And, and this is what you see in video games, like you're playing Tetris and you lose. Tetris then allows you to just start again, but but you can immediately start your new strategy, which is I won't be doing that. I'm going to start putting everything on the left, or I'm going to do it on the right, or I'm going to do this or that. And you you come up with your own solution, or in your, you're in some game where you have to get through a building. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going to go this way, and then I'm going to do this. And you start planning that out in your head. If a game is on rails, which means you're not allowed to have any ideas or strategy, it's a disaster. Mm. Uh, 
And so that's one of the things that frustrates me is games. There's a lot of game designers that are that, that, that think they're the best writers in the world and they want you to follow their story regardless of what you want to do. It's not about you. It's about my story. And I'm going to make you go through my story. I, that kind of annoys me too because the concept of a game is really it's about the gamer and not um, necessarily about this linear story. And I can't deviate. I can't leave this room because that would break the story. That's not good. <laughs> the strategy just plummets when when that occurs so but um but those you can find in in many different businesses like when i when i go to buy a car and they put all those papers on the table to sign i just look at it and go are you kidding me this is 2022 you still want all this stuff to be signed it's ridiculous uh you know like this is it's they're not understanding you know where we are in the world these days uh you need to you need to be able to move at the speed of thought and that's really the that's really the objective, and I think you can disrupt just about any company um, if you if you start to put the the customer first as far as their time. And boy, oh boy, do they appreciate it! Like, oh wow, that was so easy. Um, that's that's ultimately what you're looking to do. That's awesome. Well, there's some real great things to think about there. So I, I really like the idea of skill, risk, and strategy, and having that balance, not just in game design, of course, but in in all things in life. And I think it applies to your people as well, just from talking to a lot of leaders. It's, hey, you need to be able to get better at your job. You need to know if you're going to be able to win. You need to be able to fail and succeed. If there's guardrails that you can only move forward and never backwards, then you're not going to have that amount of risk. And strategy, you need to be able to critically think and be able to move forward. The other thing I thought was cool was, you know, thinking at your cons- at the consumer level, if you were still building games with A was attacking B versus, you know, a multi-tiered video game with a bunch of side quests, you wouldn't have that same adoption. So really recognizing that the consumer is getting smarter and you got to be able to deliver things for them. And as a side note, I think maybe the consumer is getting dumber. And so you need to make it easier for them to be able to do stuff like, oh, yes, I you know they're eventually going to buy toothpaste. So why make it hard? Uh, I will also take an opportunity to plug my wife's company, Medify. If you're trying to learn how to do be better at video games, that's not a sponsorship, but hell, it's my podcast. I do what I want. And yeah, I think that's really cool. David, anything you want to share about like my synopsis of what you said and anything that is not accurate about it? Yeah, no, it's uh, to me, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, uh, psychology is is really quite fascinating to see what motivates people, um, and I I love sort of looking over the shoulder of gamers while they play and trying to understand what what's going through their head and why they're doing what they're doing, and um, and there's there's some simple concepts as well. Um, if you look at big games like um, World of Warcraft, for example, where you have some kind of leveling system that's quite fascinating to you know when when you when you think about it is there it's getting late but they're looking going if i just stay a little longer i can get to this next level and the trickery that's going on as a game designer is what you actually do is behind the scenes you're actually mapping out oh wow everyone's getting stuck at level six and not getting to level seven there's a bit of a gap there and then you start thinking how can i get them from level six to level seven like they see there's a burnout occurring here and what you do is you give them some gift that they can only use in level seven like here's an amazing thing and it's going to be great when you're level seven (laughs) and you can sort of tease them across into that new thing and once they're through then then they continue and so it's kind of interesting um 
you know, there's a book called uh, Flow, which you may have come across at some point, um, but the, the video games cause that sort of mental state a lot, which is the, the way I like to describe it is when you're, if you're climbing a mountain and you see the, the tip of the mountain, every time you climb, the tip of the mountain gets closer and you can get into that state because you feel like you're getting there. You feel the improvement in real time. If it's foggy, and you can't see the top of the mountain and you're just climbing and climbing and climbing, you get exhausted and a lot of people die in the fog, right? And imagine you, it, would, it would be so easy to design a video game where you just get lost in the fog. And it's and it's also easy to design a, a video game where you can see your your, your progression and, and those are the ones that actually succeed. Um, if you just, if you make them grind in the, fro in the fog, you'll just lose them. And, um, and so... Those kind of very basic ideas, but yet they're they're very very important um, if you want to create a lot of engagement with something. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But the the three those three that I mention are are the I would argue they're the first three, the core three. There are other things like rewarding people. It's important, you know, in a video game, you get points or you get a little you get confetti at the end of the level or something. It's good to reward people because they. What you're doing is you're saying, I know you feel really good right now, but but we we know that you deserve the feeling that you're getting right now. And so it's important that the game aligns with your feelings. Pinball used to be very good at this when when pinball, um, when you did well in pinball, then you would get multi-ball and then balls are flying all over the place and all the lights are going crazy. And the game in a way is responding to the fact that you're doing really well and it makes you feel extra good because of the, the excitement. And so... Rewarding people, I think, is an important aspect of of uh, of making them engage even more. Like, there's a lot of platforms out there; they they get you to do a bunch, fill out all this stuff, but you don't really feel like uh, it was worth it. <laughs> you don't you don't really feel like it was it was good. And and the other thing in a game is you can't over reward somebody, so you can't you can't keep going you know rah 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 you're amazing this is great um if you really not so it can't be fake it has to be real so there's interesting other dimensions to 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 really holding on to people but um but that that is those are some of the core ones that i think really matter but uh, I mean, I'm I either read your thousand page book or watch all of the TikToks I'm sure you're going to make. But that's why, you know, when they say gamify something, it is to make mm -hmm. it fun. When I used to uh, be part of a leadership development program, say, hey, this is the game. You know, we're going to get two of these, three of these, five of these. We're going to fill them out. And, and that's how we would move forward. Good surveys have a progress bar. Good shopping cart experiences say, you know, you're only $12 away from free shipping. Like they've gamified that to get your brain to say, well, I'm only $12 away. Like what's, you know, why wouldn't I do that? So I think it's very cool uh, incentive things. David, last question here, because I think I could talk to you a long time about video game psychology motivation. What was a lesson that you learned in your various, you know, really cool career what, what was a lesson that you learned that really stuck with you, whether that was within video game design, whether that was within leadership and team development? What was something you're like, whoa, I'll never do that again, or it's been really formative to the kind of leader that you are now? There's a couple of things that uh, stand out for me. Um, one is you need to work with great people, and so you have to find really great people to work with. And one of the tricks to finding those people is to sort of work out, I call them 10Xers, those people that just 
climb through barbed wire and get things done. And then there's those people that, that don't do that and they point at all the problems and tell you all the reasons why there's problems and you know and 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 the progress is really slow because of these problems. That those people drive me crazy. So uh, the more that you can find those 10xers that that just you find out later about all the hurdles they jumped um but you know to them they just take it in their stride i think that's probably a very key piece the second is i like to think forward so i so imagine you know we were going to you and i were about to make a company together and we'd say well what are we going to do and we're going to we're going to disrupt this or we're going to do that and and then the question would be the conversation would go something along the lines of so imagine someone did that, how would we beat it? And then you go, well, phew, I'd probably do this. Okay, now that exists, how are we gonna beat that? And uh, and you keep having that conversation until you just can't think of a better future than that. And then you build that direction. And if you build that direction, people think you're you're enlightened in some way because you're 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 doing something that that other people at the time won't be doing. And and it's kind of fun because if you're right, um, you end up getting to invent, to patent the space, to own a space that that uh, that is clean, and so it's just something to think about. I I I mean, you could almost brainstorm in any way and 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 start to keep brainstorming forward. I call it down the track thinking, and the way I explain it to people is in any industry. We're all on the train together. That's the industry. We're on the train. The video game industry is on a train. Some people miss the train and they're like chasing after it, hoping to someday catch the video game industry train and get on it. But there's other people trying to think ahead and say, you know, what's the next thing? And so that's when you start getting, well, how many stations ahead can you think, right? Can you go just one or can you go two or three or four? And the answer is, I think anybody can think forward. They just, it's not it's something they take the time to sit down and really think about. And that's that's certainly what I like to do is, is to keep going. And how would I beat that? How would I beat that? And that's going down the track. And then at some point, you know, that's it. That's the uh, that's the end of the track for me. I can't go any farther. So let's let's try to build that. And and you can decide if that's interesting to you or not. But um, <laughs> conceptually, it's a fun thing to do. That's awesome. Well, that's you know, like you said, hey, get the thing that'll get you faster in in speed. Uh, program it in, so you programmed it in for yourself. If that's the thinking that led to Carol, I'm very excited for what's uh, happening there. And man, I just. I just so enjoyed our conversation. I love hearing you think. I love just like all of the lessons learned. And I do want to check out that book, but just really thanks for the conversation today. Uh, David, where can people connect with you? Where can they check out uh, the e-commerce platform, Caro? And uh, where can they learn more about your work? Well, that book um, is is still out there somewhere. You may find it on eBay or something like that. It's called David Perry on Game Design. And it was more about um, helping people be creative. So it sort of solves the problem of I can't come up with something original. Well, yes, you can. And let me show you how. Um, that's what that book's about. But the the company that, that I'm with is is called uh, uh, Caro, C-A-R-R-O. And the website is getcaro.com. So getcaro.com. And send us an email to hello at getcaro.com and mention this podcast. And we will take very, very good care of you. So you will get VIP support um, if you just mention this podcast. Awesome. 
Well, perfect. We'll try to get that book on there, eBay or otherwise, uh, to put it in the show notes. And then, you know, as somebody who really loves the idea of partnerships, like do work once and get paid for it for a really long time, platform seems really cool. So I wish you guys nothing but the most success and uh, also success with your photography. I hope that goes well and you don't get bored. So, uh, <laughs> David, thank you so much for the time today. No, thank you so much. It was fun. That's my pleasure. Folks, my guest today, David Perry, who is the co-founder and CEO of Caro. Check them out. Look him up on game design. As somebody who's played video games for the better part of 20 years and probably will play some later today, there are so many things you can learn to improve not only your customer experience, your employee experience, pretty much everything you do can get better through video games. So pick some tips up. And if you do that one thing, it'll help you get more XP and help you grow your business faster. So thanks so much for listening on today's uh, Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. I appreciate you being here. I'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.